Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's panel on using adversity for good. I'm really, really excited to have our panelists discuss their journey, their story, and also how they've leveraged adversity for good. I think all of us right now are facing adversity, um, and there are opportunities for us to do good, and, and there are opportunities for us to learn a lot. Um, and I've been fortunate to chat with over 150 remarkable people on my Intentional Performers podcast. The four gentlemen that you're going to see today have all been on the podcast as well. And these people have overcome adversity, thought deeply about leadership, and have set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best. The coronavirus has created challenges for so many throughout the world, and it's my hope that these panel discussions will help those that are in need. And obviously, you know, being today, it's Wednesday, April 1st, like we're finding out more and more people dying from this thing. So it's, it continues to be a, a very serious matter. And uh, I'm not taking that lightly either. Uh, so while everyone on this panel has tremendous expertise, I also want to note that what we are going through is truly unprecedented. And there may be questions that the panelists don't have answers to, and that's completely okay. So we're going to do the best we can. This isn't designed to give you answers to every question you have. Instead, it's designed to have you think deeply about how you can ha handle this challenging time. So with that, I want to kick it over to my guy, Mo. And Mo's just going to give a bit of a background on his journey, his story, and, and what he's up to now. Well, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, obviously, my name is Moses Maddox. I spent eight years in the Marine Corps uh, from 1990 to 2006. Uh, I did do two deployments to Iraq. Uh, I got out in 06. Um, graduated with my degree in 2012, and I've been working with veterans since 2008. Um, I've been focused on veterans transition, helping, trans, have, helping veterans get from active duty to the civilian world uh, through higher ed, um, and that's really been my life's work since I've gotten out. Hey, Mo, can you talk a little bit about your mental health journey and uh, discuss that, uh, just give a little more color to that? Right. So um, in 2007, I was diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury and ADHD and all sorts of other um, good stuff that came with getting blown up and going to war. Um, and I went through extensive amount of treatments. I went through, I made every mistake you can make when it comes to self-medicating and trying to you know, navigate that entire um, journey. And what I realized more than anything in my journey was that um, the not necessarily the cure, but the path to, you know, not being controlled by PTSD and the, the path to um, just getting better in general was serving others. And the more I gave to other people, the more I made it less about me and made it more about my, my community service, the better I felt in general. And so I took that lesson and I really try to spread that message to, you know, when in doubt, serve others. And that usually provides some clarity to whatever it is you're going through. Awesome. And, and just to put a uh, period on, on Mo, he, today we hear about military professionals having post-traumatic stress all the time, and it, it's become more common. But when Mo really uh, was open to talking about it, he was at the forefront of uh, talking about mental health at a time where it wasn't as readily talked about, especially with some of our toughest uh, people that we have in this country. So uh, I think Mo's really helped change how we think about post-traumatic stress, especially as it relates to the military. So Mo, thank you so much for being here. Van, I'd love for you to go next. 
Absolutely. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Van Brooks. I am the founder of a foundation called Safe Alternative Foundation for Education. And I was inspired to create this foundation after suffering a spinal cord injury at the age of 16 while playing football. Uh, I was initially paralyzed from the neck down, unable to do anything for myself. And over the years of making a really good recovery, there were a couple of things that I, I've realized could never be taken away. One was my education and the other one was the things I was exposed to. And so, you know, growing up in an underserved community um, and, and having friends and family that live in these types of communities, um, I realized how um, a lot of people are also paralyzed, but they're paralyzed mentally just because of the lack of exposure and the lack of an education. And so I'm using all of my uh, things that I've learned through my injury and just through my academics to help middle schoolers in my neighborhood um, create a pathway and achieve academic success. Awesome. And, and Van came on the podcast and we recorded in person in Bethesda, Maryland, and Van's actually in Baltimore. And while we were recording, I asked him, he was t- telling the story of him being paralyzed. And he said, he was at a high school called Georgetown Prep. Mm-hmm. And Georgetown Prep is a couple miles on literally the same street as where my office is. And so Van and I actually went over to where he had his injury and it was the first time he'd been back there and in a long time. It was, yeah. I think the, it was actually around the anniversary. What anniversary was it for you? 15 years. Yeah. So it was pretty wild. And, and sometimes you all blow me away and sometimes it's, it's just kind of wild um, to experience through your eyes and, and your emotions, some of, some of the stuff and that experience with Van will stay with me forever. So Van, thanks for letting me be a little part of your journey. And, and I'm grateful that you're here as well to share with everybody else who maybe hasn't interacted with you um, and heard from you. Uh, Derek, why don't you go next? Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great being on this panel with you guys. Uh, my name is Derek Fitzgerald. Uh, I'm a business owner. I, am, uh, I, I got here a little roundabout way, but I am a survivor, uh, much like the rest of the panel here. And uh, I, I was fully focused in work, committed to work. I was not taking care of myself physically and ultimately was diagnosed with cancer when I turned 30. Uh, chemotherapy with the cancer led to heart failure. Uh, for seven years. Uh, That heart failure led to a heart transplant. That heart transplant led to uh, me going from being obese to being completely atrophied to getting post-transplant diabetes. Um, And and at that point, that's when I realized that uh, while health insurance can pay for a heart transplant, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, mean that you've earned it. And so my 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 journey has been one of gratitude and trying to find a way to earn this gift that I've been given uh, and to try and give back in every, any in every possible way I can. And, and, and one of those things, aside from taking care of myself uh, and, and ultimately turning, becoming an athlete uh, is, is helping others find their way back from any kind of significant injury to help them become more active, to, become, to help them become more, more healthy and to take care of themselves. So I have, uh, a foundation that I started called the Recycled Man Foundation, which talks about fighting for a life worth fighting for. And a lot of times people get into the, the mix and they forget that there's a life that's worth fighting for. Uh, and and that's, that's kind of the life I lead. And Derek, you, you said you were an athlete, but um, I think people need to know a little bit more about what kind of athlete you are. 
Oh, well, uh, I went from being a couch potato slug to, uh, to a guy who did his first 5K 10 months after his heart transplant. And then I did my first Ironman, full Ironman triathlon uh, two, two years after, two and a half years after my heart transplant. Uh, I'm, I'm the only cancer surviving heart transplant uh, to ever finish a full distance uh, 140.6 mile race. Uh, I've done six of them now. I've, I've done Kona uh, in Hawaii, which is the world championship. Uh, I've ridden my bicycle from, from the Santa Monica Pier to, to the Atlantic Ocean in Avalon, New Jersey. Um, and I, I constantly just try and, 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 and earn this gift by being the best custodian uh, to this body for my donor's heart. Uh, my donor's a hero. Uh, my donor saved my life and allowed me to have a daughter uh, after my transplant. So um, every heartbeat is someone else's. It's my, it's my job to earn it. Thank you so much, Derek. Race, my man, um, good to see you again. And uh, why don't you take us home as far as the introductions go? Sure. Uh, uh, thank you, Brian, for inviting me to be, to be a part of this wonderful panel and a timely discussion. Uh, my name is Reis Bhuyan. Um, I'm a survivor of a violent post 9-11 hate crime. Uh, I'm a peace activist, uh, human rights advocate, and the founder and president of World Without Hate. And World Without Hate is working to break the cycle of hate and violence uh, through storytelling and um, empathy. Uh, I, was born in, I was born and raised in Bangladesh and uh, began my career serving as a pilot officer in the Air Force. But I did not feel my destiny was there. I came to the U.S. for additional higher education and to experience the American dream. My American dream turned into American nightmare when 10 days after 9-11 terrorist attacks, a white supremacist shot me in the face from point blank range and left me for dead on a cold concrete convenience store floor. In the days, weeks, and months following, I lost everything. I lost my job, my home, my sense of security, vision in one eye, and my fiance, but gained more than $60,000 in medical bills. I still carry more than three dozen shotgun pellets in my face and the right side of my skull, which continue to cause various health issues, but by the mercy of God and with the help of many kind, caring, loving Americans, I was able to rebuild my life, got a good IT job, and in 2010, I ran an international campaign to try and save the life of my attacker from Texas death row. Uh, today, I, did, I dedicate all my time um, to War Without Hate, the manifestations of my deathbed promise, trying to do all I can to make this world a better place for us and for our next generations. Okay, so, um, you know, Reyes and I met uh, when I was coaching a young man named Joey and Joey uh, is actually the one that's going to make our social media clips for this, for this conversation. And Joey is just an awesome person, but I was walking out of Joey's house after working with him and uh, there was a stack of books uh, right next to Joey's door. And I said, Joey, what are all these books that you have? He's like, oh, it's an amazing book. And he was started telling me Race's story because the book was about Race's journey. And I was like, oh, man, that sounds like a righteously incredible, wild, amazing, emotional story. 
And he's like, yeah, it's amazing. And then this guy walks through the kitchen and Joey goes, yeah, that's race. And I go, wait a second. That's the guy who you're saying uh, this, this story about? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I'd love to meet him and, and chat with him. And then that led to having race on the podcast. And um, all four of you are remarkable humans, first and foremost, and have gone through unreal adversity. And, you know, I'm always amazed by people that go through adversity and seem to still be mission-minded after that adversity. And all four of you are, are extremely mission-minded. And I just want to start this conversation by saying that there is no comparison when it comes to what people go through. And I, I know all four of you have, have spoken publicly about your experiences. And um, I think people that are listening to this or watching this, I just want them to sit with themselves and think about their own adversity because we all go through some form of adversity and when we play the comparison game. It's just, it, it doesn't serve anybody. Um, so I want to say that off, off from the get go, because I think sometimes people can be into, well, my adversity is not nearly what this person has gone through. And when you hear these four people's stories, I think we all have a tendency to do that. And I would just encourage each of us to not go into that space and just to sit with some of what you learned today. And I know I'm going to try to do that for myself as well. Um, so first of all, thank you all for being here. And, and now comes what's going to be a really fun part for me, um, which is to get to ask you guys questions and get out of the way. So Van, you said something that, that struck me given our, our current circumstance, which is you talked about being paralyzed mentally and how a lot of the communities that you've been around might lack education or lack opportunity. Um, based on their environment or their situation. Can you talk about what you're observing and what you're noticing now as people are locked in their home and, and not able to move and move freely and how that sits with you and how that lands with you given your story? You know, um, I, think, I think that there's an opportunity in, in everything, right? Um, but my frustration kicks in, especially around the, the academic system. My work is in education with my kids. And so um, when you realize that the, the education gap is going to get wider um, as a result of the lack of technology and the lack of resources in certain underserved communities, um, you know, I, I found out yesterday that there are some independent schools who have the technology and they have mandatory classes that they're doing online. Whereas we have an entire Baltimore City public school system where students don't have access to the internet, students don't have access to um, computers. And so therefore they're gonna fall behind the eight ball even further when it comes to academics. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer that the key to success is through an education. And if, if we have our future leaders not being properly educated, then how do we expect for anything to change um, and, you know, specifically in Baltimore City, but then Maryland or in the world, you know. Um, and so we are furthering paralyzing people mentally due to a lack of, of an education. And this time um, is, is, again, is just my opinion making things worse as we have a lot of people um, in the house who have the time to um, explore and, and take advantage of um, just having time to be in a house and not having to deal with the, 
the hustle and bustle of everyday life, but they don't have resources to take advantage as others can. Absolutely. And race, I'm thinking about you also when we think about empathy. And I know that empathy is a big part of your, your story and also your, your foundation. How does this experience bring up empathy for you? How are you thinking about empathy? Um, would love to get your perspective on, on how you think about empathy in a time like this. Well, you know, um, this shooting incident put me into a situation where, you know, um, I was able to learn and grow. And um, even though in the, in the beginning, um, right, right after my shooting, I experienced, um, you know, uh, the underbelly of America in firsthand. But in course of time, I also, you know, um, uh, experienced and saw the beauty of America when a lot of kind and caring Americans came forward to help me to rebuild my life and um, to help me to achieve my American dream. It also restored my faith in humanity and also, um, you know, uh, the journey, the the longer uh, the long road to recovery that I, you know, I had to go through um, when I was able to learn, able to grow mentally, physically, spiritually, and psychologically, um, helped me to be a better human being as well, because I come from a privileged background where I never experienced um, how it feels like to be in the minority group, how it feels like to be on the receiving end of mercy, kindness, and giving. But after coming to America, I, I felt, you know, I, I found myself in that category. And, um, at that time, I, I, I realized that what people, uh, what needy, deprived, and poor people go through each and every single day to live like a human being, to just to survive, to make ends meet. This incident gave me a, an opportunity to, to understand, to, to feel for those people, and it made me a better person, and also it helped me to be more empathetic to those people who go through challenges every single day. And... Um, and in this time, right now, what we're going through, I can talk about a little bit about my experience that I feel like, you know, now I feel how it likes to be, you know, isolated and, uh, you know, um, how it feels like to be afraid, you know, um, n- not knowing how things going to unfold in your life or in your loved one's life. Because after the shooting incident happened to me, I was afraid of going out, uh, afraid of being attacked again by the white, uh, you know, bald-headed white man with, with, uh, full of tattoos. And I, I felt the pain of isolating myself uh, in a small house uh, in, a, in, in, in Texas. So I could, uh, now I feel that, you know, what people are going through now, that they are all, you know, a lot of people are isolated, lockdown situation, and uh, a lot of people are going through anxiety, frustration, depression, and there's a lot of fear right now. And I can also talk about that, you know, uh, if this thing happened 15 years ago when I was working uh, in the restaurant industry, I can imagine how I could have supported myself working for $2.13 per hour with a paycheck uh, from 25 cents to a couple of bucks per week. So it made me, you know, uh, feel more for others. It helped me to feel, you know, be more empathetic to other people that what because of the situation we're going through right now. Hey, Race, how did you overcome that fear of, of even just going outside and uh, being afraid that someone was going to attack you? And, 
can you shed any light on on how you were able to uh, overcome it? Because now you you are able to go outside. You know, when we met, you were in a different state. So how, how did how did that come to be? Well, I was afraid of um, large bald-headed white men with tattoos because of my attacker. Um, and uh, since I was the only survivor, and I felt that uh, if I go outside, somebody would shoot me to finish the job. And that fear killed me mentally, emotionally. And, uh, and I was praying God that, you know, help me to overcome this fear. But at the same time, I need to do something to overcome this fear as well. So I thought I need to find a way to overcome this fear I need to go outside in a safe and secure place where I can uh, tackle this fear and at the same time come to normal life. So I started working into a restaurant, uh, which was a safe environment. And uh, I need to take a break because I'm feeling a little bit of emotional right now. Uh, I mean, why don't you move on to the next uh, panelist? I'm taking a break for a minute. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Mo, can you shed some light? Because I would imagine there's been, um, and race, take as much time as you need, my man. I'm sure it's tough. Um, Moses, can you shed some light on uh, what it's like to come back from war and deal with post-traumatic stress and, and some of those challenges? One of the first things... <sighs> that was disconcerting to me whenever you go to war and especially your first time you get into a firefight or the first time you get blown up by an IED um, is how little control you're in, right? Like you could do all the ops, ops training you want. You could do all the, you know, repetitions and all the trainings you want, but nothing, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. You know, like, and there are so many random things that happened while overseas to where you're just all like, this person did everything right, but still died. Right. Or, or the, on the opposite end, this person did everything wrong, but survived. Like, you know, there's some people out that had death wishes out there, but survived. But then you have people who played it safe and planned well, they died. And you're like, I have no control whatsoever over what happens next. It doesn't mean to act recklessly and say, screw it, I'm going to do whatever. But whenever I was going through my, my struggles with PTSD, then what I, what I realized that I was struggling with was my lack of control. I just wanted some sort of control over anything, everything, you know, just give me something. And I had a counselor who said, the first thing you need to control is yourself. Like that's literally the only thing you have control of. Like that is it. The world is going to world. The world is going to do whatever it does. Like, you know, Van, I'm pretty sure you didn't sign up to, you know, take a hit to the head and, you know, be paralyzed from the neck down. I'm pretty sure all you want to do is play football, right? That's it. You love the game, you know? Um, Derek, I'm pretty sure all the physical things that you went through, you weren't raising your hand for that, (laughs) you know? Um, And we all went through our struggles to get to where we were, but I think we all learned that the only thing we can control is ourselves, right? Like I can continue going this negative road, being pissed off and screw the world. And the irony of it is, is that society has built in for someone like me to be like, Hey, I got PTSD. I got TBI. I can see the, I can sit at the VFW for the next 40 years of my life, get drunk every single day for free and be fine. And society be like, cool, it's all good, right? Um, Van, 
you didn't have, you didn't have to do anything, right? And society would have let you happen. Like, oh, he got paralyzed playing football. We got something for that. Mm-hmm. You could have just sat around on the couch for the rest of your life. Yeah, and that would have been me. it. Yeah, poor and Derek, dude, <laughs> you got better cardio than I do, and I have I I don't you know like <laughs> killing me smalls. Like I I got I got I got to do some road work, right? <laughs> um, and we all at some point decided we got to do something different because what we what we were doing wasn't working right it just now can we have actually predicted what's become of us no like that if i sat down like hey hey, yo van derek this this is the plan and i laid out my entire career as it planned out it is a dumb plan right it is a stupid hey i'm gonna go on letterman and start my career there right let's do that real quick that's dumb right but that's what happened why all i could do is just control my reactions to things filter it through a filter. It was like, what is, what is the best move for me? What is, what's going to make sure that I continue staying healthy and I may be happy. I, I kind of go for contentment, but once I just kind of realized that the world is going to do what the world does, none of us signed up for the COVID. I'll tell you that, right? We have no control over anything that's happening right now. All we can control is ourselves. And I think a lot of people, what they're doing right now, like for instance, uh, um, went shopping right before the lockdown in California and you had lines hours long at Costco and everybody's stocking up on toilet paper. Like why? Like what's going on with this toilet paper thing? Why does everybody need toilet paper? Right. And it really boiled down to like, there was so little information on what was going on that people just wanted to feel like they had control over something. Right. And let's be real. You don't. All you can control is yourself. And if you were controlling yourself, you realize one, purchasing, you know, eight tons of toilet paper just isn't the move. Um, but it gives you a chance to take advantage of something like this isolation for those who actually are in, in a position to um, take advantage of this time that we have to ourselves to make ourselves better, to look inward, to fix things, to spend time with family that we don't get. Like there's a lot of positive that can happen here, even in this negative, but also understanding that you should have empathy for those who aren't able to take advantage, right? There's going to be kids in underserved and underprivileged sections of society. They won't have the access that maybe my kid does, right? How do we show them empathy? How do we reach out to them? How do we get them there, right? You know, like there, there's so many questions that we now have time to sit down with an answer that we should probably sit down, for those who are able to, should probably take the time to sit down and actually come up with some answers. Yeah, and, and we should be answering those questions regardless of this going on, but hopefully this triggers, uh, it gives everybody a little more space and time to, to reflect and really think about how they can help people like what Van was talking about earlier. Derek, as, as Mo, Mo was talking, I saw you sort of nodding and smiling. Uh, what was resonating for you and what's going on in that head of yours as, as you're listening to Mo talk? And Race, by the way, welcome back. Hope you're okay. Um, oh, thank you. If, if, yeah. If you, if you, if you, if any of you at any point need to step away, look, some of this stuff is is heavy and it's real and we don't need to sugarcoat it. So feel free to do so. And even if you need to stop, like totally, totally understandable. So whatever you all need to do to make sure that this is helpful for you, um, let's just make sure we do that. I just want to, I, I want to include race in this too. Society, what happened to race if race wanted just to be this person who, who hates white people, <laughs> who, who's white really ball going to, guys. Uh, white ball guys, 
wet up. Uh, <laughs> especially large ones. We got, uh, we got some. We got some. <laughs> and, and no offense to Mo's, Mo and uh, Derek. No offense well, to you. I love you, right? It boils down to empathy. I get it, right? Yeah. I told and and society has built in. If you wanted to be hateful and angry and mean spirited and all, society would be like, yeah, that's cool. Race, you, you do you. We got you, right? But ultimately, race ended up making some decisions that led him to his path now, right? We all struggled with whatever happened to us. You know, let's talk, we can talk about that. But we all made different decisions. At some point, I said, you know, this ain't working for me. We got to do something different. And so I wanted to just include you in that conversation, include you in that conversation race. But yeah, Derek. Thank you. No, I, uh, I think that, listen, listening to Mo speak and talking about just the unpredictability of life and in war, it, I'm, I've never served in the military, but I feel a certain um, understanding at a certain level, I think, uh, with people who've been in the military and have been in that that mindset uh, that you can do everything right and still you know still end up dying and you can you know throw caution to the wind and and do everything that people would consider ridiculously dangerous and end up surviving um you know going through chemotherapy treatments and cancer um you know i would go in and sit in the chair and i'd have regular people sitting around me and you get to know faces and you know then one day they don't show up and you know what happened. They're not here anymore. Um, and, and you go, Oh man, you know, this is the person that's going to make, they look great. They're getting stronger. They look, you know, they're, they're getting some color back in their face. They're going to make it. I know that person's going to make it. And then they go. Um, and then that person that was the most frail and the most weary, um, they, they make it, they make a turnaround and all of a sudden they make it. And, and it's, it's, it's not race, it's not socioeconomic background. There is no rhyme or reason for it. Life takes what it's gonna take. And you know, that extended into heart failure. And you know, I would I would go to sleep every day and close my eyes and go, Am I gonna wake up in the morning? You know, and and you know, that over the course of seven years for me, I mean that takes a toll. Um, that, and, and, and it really got down to, you know, when it came down to getting on the, the transplant waiting list, you know, 22 people a day die waiting for a life-saving organ. And you just don't know if you're going to be one of those 22 or you're going to get a shot. So ultimately I did some research, you know, I do a lot of talking and I found out that through the course of cancer, heart failure, and the, the transplant during that time that I, I, I was dealing with those things just under 12 million people died from those things specifically. And there I was on the other side of it. And a lot of times people, people come up to me and they, they say, how do you deal with the, the why me mentality? And quite honestly, I've never had a why me mentality. You know, why do I have to go through this? Why was I chosen to go, you know, to, to go through all these things? Um, it's, you know, I, I've always looked at it as nothing's been promised to me or anybody else on this planet. And so it's up to us to make the most of what we got while we got it. Um, and, you know, that's been the driving factor, the driving force while I was sick and every day since. Um, 
there's no rhyme or reason. You know, uh, every day I wake up and I open my eyes and I say, this is bonus round. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make the most of what I got while I got it. Man, I see, I see your head nodding as you're hearing Derek talk. And I'm, I'm thinking about, about you um, because <sighs> Mo, Mo hit on this. I had on another person on a previous panel, Josh uh, Basil and, and, and Josh, you know, boogie board accident at the beach, paralyzed. And, you know, he, he uh, actually talked about in the panel how he basically was told he had to quit his job. He ended up becoming a lawyer and now fights for dis- people with disabilities. And I think I've, I think you might know Josh a little bit, yeah, but yeah, he got to a point where he had to make a decision on whether he would go on disability and, and have all of his caretakers around. Like, you know, he has no access to his arms or hands, so he needs them to help him eat and, and live. Um, he, he basically was, uh, based on the government, told that he had to take disability and quit his job as a lawyer if he wanted to keep his caretakers. And he said, how ridiculous is this that I have bettered myself, gotten educated, now have a good job, but in order to stay alive, I need to quit my job. And so to Mo's point, like we have some, and he ended up fighting that and getting that overturned so that he could keep his job and still get the the care that he needed. Um, Just an amazing story. Um, And Mo, Mo was sort of hitting on that. Like we, the world would understand if the four of you were the victims, Derek, if you did say, why me? I think a lot of us are thinking that that might be what we would do if we were in your position. Um, so Van, talk about for you, um, even go back to like 17 year old you and, and the mindset that you had and, and how you were able to continue to, I don't want to say push forward, but, um, you know, not get into that why me mode that Derek's talking about. So I'm actually, I actually was in that why me mode, right? Um, I was, I, as Mo was saying, I, I felt as though I was doing everything right. You know, I was I was going to the schools. I was getting education. I was I was preparing myself mentally and physically. Um, I was I was um, on the path to becoming that athlete that I that I wanted to become. And so when when that was taken away from me at such a young age, I uh, you know all the time it was why me, right? Um, for me that was a natural thing, especially being that young. And it wasn't until my father, you know, said to me, well, why not you? You are no exception, right? Things happen to everybody. And, um, you know, it, it took me back as Mo was talking about um, the serenity prayer, right? Is that, that part when it says, accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference. And for me, you know, it was a matter of, this is my situation. Uh, my dad presented the options to me. My options was I deal with it or I don't. I either lay in this bed, say, poor me, why me? Or I say, why not me? And make the best out of this, right? And so um, I felt as though I had no choice but to step up to the plate and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this into an advantage. I don't know how, right? I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that. Um, this is going to be an extended football game, you know, go through all the mental things to psych myself up for this long journey that I knew I was going to be on. But for me, it was once I made the commitment to this journey, I was going to see it through no matter what, you know, what I had to go through or what it was going to take. And eventually that why me did go away. Right. Um, but it, it, it was there initially 
Um, but over the time, as, as I began to figure out ways to use this, but more importantly, once I figured out the purpose in it all, you know, once I, once I got the answer to the why, it was no longer why me. It was, I know exactly why this happened. I know exactly what the purpose of it is and what I need to be doing with my life. Um, and that is to serve and help other people who may be going through what I went through or maybe just going through some difficult times and just need some encouragement and need some advice that, you know, at the, at the end of the tunnel, as long as you continue to push through, light is going to be there. Um, you just need to, you know, hunker down and, 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 and make the commitment to yourself to see it through. Right. Go ahead, Race. I like it. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I, I was wondering if I could ask Derek a quick question that, you know, since you went through this, you know, heart transplant and also, the, you know, the cancer, since then, do you feel there is a time pressure in your life that, you know, time is limited and there is a pressure you have to do, you have to accomplish a lot of things within this time frame? It's a good question, Race. I, I definitely feel like if there's anything that I want to do, I do it now. I don't, so much of my life before getting sick was, you know what, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to do that next week. My whole point now is if you want to do something, do it. Um, there, there is no time like the present and the present might be all that you have. Um, right. So, uh, you know, when your head hits the pillow at night, you should feel content in knowing what you achieved in that day and say, if this is it, if this is all I get, then I lived life. And, and it's, it's a, and, and I, I, I talk about this a lot is, is that living a, the difference between living, just living life and living a great life is committing to that, that mindset every single day. And when you string enough great days together and after a while you step back and go, man, that's, that's pretty wild. I, I, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, so many people, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, all you, all of you on the panel at this point, there've been people that come up to you and say, man, how, how does it feel or how did it feel to know that you could have checked out at any moment? How does it feel knowing that you could die at any moment? And I, I don't know. How's it feel for you? You know, because none of us are promised immortality. Anything could happen to any of us at any time. And, and, and it's, it's all about living in this moment and making the most of it. Well, that's what I feel exactly every single day. And as you pointed out very eloquently that every night you hit the pillow and you think, am I going to wake up tomorrow morning? Is it, you know, is it, um, was today was the last day for my, in, you know, in my life, um, what I've accomplished, you know, what, what else are left that I could not do. So this time pressure since my shooting, I each and every single day, I feel this, I feel the same way that time is limited. Whatever I can do today let me go and get it done instead of thinking, oh, I'll do it tomorrow when I have time. But there is no guarantee that you will be able to do it tomorrow or you will actually see the sun, sunrise tomorrow morning. There is no guarantee. And when I see people waste their time doing a lot of you know, this and that, and I feel you know, in my heart that you know, I wish they could understand you know, uh, the, the lessons we all, uh, Mo, Van, and you, we all learn from our life that, you know, life can change in any given moment. There is no guarantee. So why not make the best use of our time 
you know, um, do good in our life and help others as well. I'm sure Mo can talk a lot about that when you saw life and death every single day when you were deployed in Iraq and seeing, you know, your, your fellow, you know, uh, colleagues were dying and people, you know, in the war field dying each and every day. It gives a different perspective. I mean, I, I never felt that I would be talking like this or I would be sitting and, you know, uh, sharing my story uh, with, with you or when I go and give a talk. I never imagined, but that one particular incident, it changed everything, my life, my mission, my vision, my purpose, everything. So, you know, I mean, the best we can do, make the best use of the time and help others. One of the questions that I <clears throat> am motivated by, um, I, it was when I was an undergrad and, you know, people at times will compare themselves to us right? Like my PTSD wasn't bad as yours, or like, I've never had to go through a heart transplant slash diabetes slash train for a marathon. Those are three different types of traumas to me, uh, you know, especially training for a marathon. Uh, yeah, Iron Man is, <laughs> is, is a little bit more than a marathon. Just, yeah, just like, so you know, Mo. you know, just all like, it's just the marathon part is enough to maybe like, nah, I'm good. Uh, then you add, you know, swimming and cycling. I'm, I'm good, man. Uh, but so I was talking to this girl, you know, she was uh, clearly in a bad way. Like, you know, what's wrong? Like, why are you off today? And she was like, oh, like, my parents just, she's living at home, 18-year-old college kid living at home. Um, my parents just gave me so much crap about taking out the trash today. They just, oh, they're the worst. I'm just sitting there like, this is, this is what's ruining your day, <laughs> you know? Like, and at first I was going to go doing that, like, you know, people are suffering worse than you type thing, right? But what does it mean to suffer, right? What it, you, can, you can read all the books, you can read all the books on philosophy and psychology, and you can have the textbook definition of suffering, but what does it mean to suffer, right? This person probably has no clue. Like, she, does, she probably doesn't know suffering like we know suffering. But in our own little 18-year-old, 19-year-old world, this is as bad as it gets, right? This is – and I found myself either saying people are suffering worse or asking questions like, how do we give people the kind of perspective they need to have, the kind of perspective we have, without having to get shot in the face or paralyzed or go through chemotherapy, right? Like, we had to learn some really – we had to go through some really extreme things to learn some really, really profound lessons – does everyone need to hit that kind of rock bottom to get that kind of perspective? Or is there a way to teach people before then? Right? Like I really hope for this young lady, her parents making her take out the trash was like the worst thing that's ever happened to her in her life. Right. Um, because who really wishes anything that we've gone through on anyone, you know? And that's one of, for me in maintaining optimism, it's understanding that everyone has their own cross to carry. And in this COVID-19, there's a, I, I'm assuming that those people who are lined up around Costco right now, like maybe this is the worst thing that's ever happened to them ever. This is the first time they've ever had, they've ever faced something like life or death. And they're capitulating because they have no clue what it's like. Where I'm pretty sure the four of us are like, you know, where's the line for us to just do regular shopping? You know, do we have to stand in this line or can I just go get my hamburgers? You know, that kind of stuff. And so like, what do you guys do to not play the comparison game, right? That perspective that you have, what do you guys do whenever you're coaching and teaching people to say, like, you should listen to me because I suffered worse than you. 
and trying to meet them where they're at and saying, hey, I know you're going through something. Let's talk about getting you through there. You know, because like I said, I mean, a lot of people will compare themselves to someone like us. And that's not fair. You know, so like, what do you guys do? I think for me, um, I first tried to understand that everyone has their own journey. Right. Everyone has their own journey and everyone, you know, goes through different things at different times. And so I just always try to understand ex exactly what it is that's that's causing that anxiety or that's causing that stress um, in the situation that they're explaining. Um, sometimes I found that there are underlying issues uh, well beyond just in your example, taking out the trash. There's something else there that, or possibly there um, that we can have that conversation you know, getting to the, really the root of it. Um, but for me, the biggest thing is just trying to keep in, keep in mind that everyone has their own journey and, and everyone's journey is not going to be my journney because there are times where I sit there and I may say, really, you're complaining about that, right? Like, do you know what I had to go through this morning? Um, but then again, that's, that's not their journey. That's my journey. And I can't put my journey on them. Yeah, there, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been out on a bike ride with with someone that i didn't know like we're in a group ride and uh you know somebody's complaining about their backache and somebody like kind of you know pokes them on uh, next to them on the bike and go and says do you know what that guy went through do you know what you're complaining about right now and they are like oh that's you oh man i am so sorry and, and i know brian you brought this up at the beginning of the show it's like oh I don't know why I'm complaining about my backache today because you know what, compared to you, and, and that's, that's the line, right? Um, Derek, how does that land with you when you hear that? Um, you know what, it, it, it's all relative. Mo brought it up as well. It, it's, it's all relative. And the stuff that we went through on this panel, again, we would not wish this on our, on our, our worst enemy. It's, 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 uh, we're kind of unicorns in the world, uh, in that regard. Uh, so you know what? Great. For a lot of people, they can point to us and say, you know, if they were able to get through that, I can get through my stuff during the day. And that's, I get that, you know, that's something I've had to learn to accept. To do you, do you do that ever? Do you like, I, I don't like, does that ever enter your thinking today? And was that something you used before? I'm just curious to get your perspective. You know, um, coming out of transplant, I read a book by a guy who went through cancer and a heart transplant and he started doing triathlon and he attempted the Ironman world championship in Kona. And I thought, and, and, and I read that and I said, you know what, if that dude can do it, the, guy the guy's name is Kyle Garlett. And I said, if that dude can do it, why not me? Um, and so that did provide a level of, you know what, the bar has been set. Uh, and there's nothing saying that I can't meet that bar. There's nothing saying that I can't exceed that bar. Um, it's, it's my job to try. Um, so you know, I, I get that when people look at us and say that, but, but for me, honestly, when someone says, you know, I've got a backache and, and I'm having a hard time on this bike ride today, I get it. I mean, if, if that's what they're dealing with, if that's the mountain that they have to climb, you know, if it's taking out the trash or dealing with, you know, they broke their leg or, or 
I mean, you know, one of the most humbling experiences for me after I went through all this stuff was that I did crash on a bike ride and I did fracture my kneecap and I did fracture my wrist and I tried getting back on a bike and I wasn't able to spin anymore. And all my friends were outside and I, and it was the, these beautiful days and I'd look outside and I go, man, this is what it's like for, for a lot of folks that, you know, it's not this TV movie of the week drama of going through cancer and a heart transplant. It's just, you know, you bust up your, your, your knee and you're having a hard time and it causes this, this ripple effect throughout the rest of your life. And I, I get that. Um, but you know, there, there's, there's no condition that big or small that someone can say, yeah, but it's not like what you did, Derek. No, it's, it's all the same to me. It's, it's all the same. It's, it's, what is the goal? How do we meet it? How do we beat it? Um, we're all coming from a different point. Uh, the only thing that I personally have issues with is, with is when someone comes to me with a goal or, or a, a challenge in their life and they go, Derek, I know what you did. I know where you are now and I need you to help me go through it. I, I need you to help me find a path to the, to the other side of this mountain. And I go, okay, I'm with you. How can I help? Um, can you do, can you do X? Uh, you know, I, 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 I really don't feel like doing that. That's, that seems like a little too much work. Okay. Uh, how about why? Mm, you know, I, I've, 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 I usually watch TV at that point. I've got a favorite show and I'm like, okay, all right. There you can climb and cross and do whatever you need to do. Any mountain, any challenge, any obstacle in your path, you can do that. I have no doubt about that. But if you're not willing to work for it, then you know what? There's no, there's no start at that point. I, there's nothing that I can do. There's no easy button in life. You got to put in the work. And one of the things I appreciate about that is you, the book you read, you know, about the guy who got out of chemo and, you know, tried to do all the stuff you ended up doing. Like, it's okay to look at those people and be like, all right, cool. Like, that's not comparison. That, that's letting you know what the possibilities are. Like, there's this guy who legit went through all the training to be in the conversation to go on Kona, right? Just to get to that point, the stuff you have to go through just to even be, to even submit your resume for consideration to participate in that event. Like, this person had to go through all of that just to get to this point, right? That's what's possible. Yep. And like, there's a difference between understanding what's possible and comparing, right? And one of the biggest problems I had, well, to kind of piggyback off of, oh, I'm sorry, like, I didn't, I went through this then, but you went through that. And it's like, no, like, you should absolutely get that off your chest. Like, it's bugging you. Like, you're, whatever you're going through is just as valid as whatever I went through. Get it off your chest. Is it off your chest now? Can we move forward? Right. That's it. Like, do you feel better? Do you feel, I, I, I'm glad I feel better hearing it. I hear you. Let's get back on, let's get on the bike. Like that's mm -hmm. literally all you can do is like the whole comparison thing. Like it almost makes other people minimize their own trauma. And it's like, no trauma is trauma people. Like no matter what you're going through, trauma is trauma. We went through some extreme things. Trauma is trauma. You need that Avenue to express it, to get it out, to talk, to talk to people about it. And maybe in the great scheme of things, it's so minimal and minuscule, it might not matter, sure. 
But at the end of the day, even what we went through in the great scheme of things is so minuscule and minor and probably doesn't matter in the great scheme. Like, who knows, right? Um, but it's like the empathy part. Whatever it is you're going through, you're going through. It's valid to you, even if there's not much of a comparison to me. Let's stop talking about the comparison thing and talk about why it's valid to you. And whenever you tell people that, they, you could just see their you see their wheels turning like they're trying like it's a it's a it's such a new paradigm when t when someone is told hey yeah you matter too right like do do the only people who matter are the ones who go through extreme things or do extreme things because the bell covered people live life pretty normally and don't go through the things that we go through like if everyone went through the stuff that we went through the entire health infrastructure would collapse right <laughs> You know, and so it's like, illuminate the possibilities, have a place for the trauma, have a path to move forward. You know? Reese, uh, I know for you, there was also a spiritual journey that you went on after this. Van mentioned a passage helping him. Moses talked about carrying a cross. Uh, Derek, maybe we'll get to you on, on, on your perspective on this. But, you know, Derek, you talked about death and um you know we all no no one's survived death sorry we all it's the one equalizer it's kind of like coronavirus everybody has to stay home and everybody's gonna die one day in taxes well taxes just got pushed back a little bit so um but but race i know for you spirituality and, and having that was was big for you so I, I would love for you to just share how that helped shape your your perspective and then if anybody else wants to jump in and and, and share theirs, I, I'd be curious to, to learn more from them as well. Well, sure, you know, uh, after this shooting incident happened, um, I lost almost everything, as I mentioned that, and there was, except my life and hope, there was nothing left. And so from there, I, you know, I, it, it brought me close to God, and I kept praying every single day that God, you helped my, you, you saved my life, and now help me to get out and uh, lead a normal life because my face was, you know, um, I would say totally messed up. There were a lot of scars and, and a gunshot wound in my face. And I, I couldn't afford to go to a plastic surgeon or, you know, get medical treatment because I had no health insurance at that time. So I was praying to God every single day that God, please, you know, make my face okay so that I can go out in public and lead a normal life. So I kept praying every single day. And... Uh, my prayer was answered within six to eight months, all the cut marks, all the black dots, all the spots started vanishing slowly and it disappeared uh, within, within uh, six to eight months completely. And um, in course of time, I went to Mecca for pilgrimage along with my mother and I stayed there for a month, prayed 15 to 16 hours per day. And I uh, asked God, not why this happened to me, rather I asked God, what good is in there? Why did you save my life? And what am I supposed to do with this extra time? Help me to understand. And I had a promise on my deathbed that if you give me a chance to live, I would dedicate my life. I would do good things for others. And I asked God, what, you know, help me to give me, give me the strength, the courage that I need to fulfill my promise. And during that pilgrimage, I also thought about my shooter, Mark Stroman, sitting in death row, waiting to die and I deeply felt I deeply felt for him and I realized that by executing him we would simply lose a human life without dealing with the root cause I saw him 
as a human being like me, not just simply a killer, I saw him as a victim too. And I strongly believed if he was given a chance, he might become a better human being. My faith and upbringing and all the powerful stories of mercy and forgiveness I learned in my childhood gave me the courage and strength not only to forgive my attacker, but also try and save the life of the man who tried to end mine. And there is a passage in the Quran, chapter 5, verse 32, where it says that, that saving a life is like saving the entire mankind. And taking a life is like taking the entire mankind. I was extremely inspired. And even though I, I forgive my attacker many years ago, but I did not feel that was enough. Yes, I forgave him. It feels good. But what is the outcome? What is the benefit out of this forgiveness? He's still going to be executed. So I came back from Mecca and um, I started a campaign working with uh, Amnesty International Reprieve. It's a London-based nonprofit. And um, we launched a campaign. I was amazed by you know, seeing the support, by getting support from, from people all walks of life and all over the world, from Hindus, from Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists. They all came together to run a campaign to save this person's life. And I also went to the U.S. Supreme Court asking for, for clemency for my attacker. And it helped my attacker go through a transformation. And he was reduced to tears when he heard from his lawyer that one of his victims was running a campaign to save his life. And he wrote a long letter to me from, the de from, uh, from death row where he said that, that um, his stepfather taught him um, He's, he learned a lot of negative, uh, his stepfather taught him a lot of, a lot of negative teachings uh, that, you know, uh, he has been unlearning a lot of them and he's working on some of them. And he thanked my parents for raising me well. And he said, you have all the right to hate me, but you have reached out from within to help and save my life. And he thanked the entire Muslim community, condemned his own acts of violence and uh, called me brother in a phone conversation before he was executed. So when I lost everything, I, it, I, you know, it seems like that I, it helped me to get close to God. It strengthened my faith in God, in, in faith in, in, in humanity when, I, when a lot of Americans came forward to help me. So it seems like I lost a lot, but at the same time I gained many things that I never imagined if I did not go through this painful suffering and pain in my life. One of the things I appreciate that you brought up was the root cause. Um, and Ben, I want you to jump in on this one. Now I'll get to a second. Was he was socialized into this way of thinking, right? Like he was brought up in this, like in some level, he didn't know better. He wasn't educated. Exactly. Right. And Ben, uh, I heard you mention Baltimore. Um, and you know what great show was filmed in Baltimore. And yep. Um, one of the things that it did incredibly well was, you know, throughout the five seasons of The Wire, it highlighted the cycle of the game, mm -hmm. right? And it highlighted a how a bunch of kids are just born into it. This is what they know, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Even to the point where a mother convinced her son to take a rap so he wouldn't snitch, because that was the norm, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're fighting against is, at this point, generations of the game. Yep. Not not just poverty and all that, but the game itself is part of the thing. And you're at the root cause of it all. And not only you're at ground zero, like this 
this shutdown is going to impact those kids in a way that education could help them get out. But what's waiting for them on the other end is the game. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do you maintain hope and optimism knowing that this is going to perpetuate another generation uh, of what's going on there? So the, the, the simplest way I can say, it, you know, the story of the starfish. Yeah. -uh. Uh, so pretty much it's someone's walking down a beach and there's a bunch of starfish that's on the beach and they're throwing back every starfish they come across. And someone asks them, you know, why are you, why are you trying to do that? You're, you can't save them all. And the person says, well, I made, I made a difference in that one's life. Mm -hmm. Right. It just takes one. And um, that's the motivating thing for me. You know, I, I don't remember who said it, but, you know, we're talking about a life. I think it was Ross. We're talking about a life. Right. And, and I understand that it's generations after generations of things that you're, you're dealing with. Um, there's systemic things that you're dealing with that just it, you, you're not going to be able to save everybody. But one person is enough. And that's enough to say, OK, I'm going to help the next person and I'm going to help the next person especially when you can see um, a student who is in this environment and you, you understand the household, you understand the things that siblings may be into, and you can help that student um, for, in our case, go to college, right? We have a student that's going to Morgan State um, and the trajectory changed for his life and then what he can do and what he will do for everyone coming up behind him when he starts to have his family. And so that one is having a ripple effect or can have a ripple effect later in life. Um, but it all starts with, you know, not giving up on them and, and helping them. And so, yeah, it's difficult because you are going to have some students that are going to, you know, not, not, not going to take heed to what's being offered. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to say they're not going to make it cause that's, that's, you know, totally the wrong thing to say, but, they may, they may fall into the cycle, right? But for that one or those, those, those few who do, you're changing a generation, not just theirs. You're changing everyone else that comes behind them. Well, it is, you know, it is um, very important as well to understand the root cause, the systemic suppress, and also the, you know, the generation uh, wise, you know, suppression. And also, you know, like for example, in my case, um, I left home at the age of 12 to attend one of the best, um, military boarding school 400 miles away from my home. And at the same time, my attacker, he had his first parole officer at the age of 12. When he turned 16, he asked for his birth certificate to get a driver license. And he saw a different person's name, you know, uh, as his father. And he asked his mother, who is this guy? And his mother said, that's your real father. Then who is this guy at home? He said, that's not your father. And then his mother told him that, I never wanted you. If I had $50 more, I, I would have aborted you. So you can imagine that, you know, at 16 years old, hearing from his mother that his life was worth the $50, right? So, you know, we need to understand the root cause why people chose in a different kind of lifestyle, why they go in the wrong direction. Unless we understand that, the root cause, then we can, we can try our best to change the society, change a lot of things, but it will be a difficult task unless until we, we understand them, we hear them uh, respectfully with kindness and then, you know, um, give them a chance and help them. Like, for example, uh, my attacker's son, he was in, uh, in prison for uh, when his father was executed. He came out for a year and then he went back again for, for, uh, for a drug charge and he, he got 14 years. 
And before he, he went back to prison, he and I was able to connect and I went to see him. And I, he asked me, you know, um, to, to, I mean, to support him. And uh, when he comes out of prison, he would like to get involved with my work. And I said, you know, I will do my best to help and show support. But you have to stay clean and clear behind bars so that you can be eligible for parole. And he did. And the good news is that um, I advocated for his, his early parole uh, for last several years. And finally, uh, last week, I was told that his parole was approved and he's coming out. And he is very excited to get involved uh, with my work and also show his story, what led him to drop out of his school, get into prison, and also you know, um, living a life full of drugs and a lot of wrong things. So I was very happy that now he wants to get involved sharing his story to help the younger generation so that they, he can help a lot of young people not to follow his path. I, I think it comes down to exposure too. I, I hear you talk about root, but I also think it comes down to exposure, right? Yes. Um, and come, exposure and opportunity because it's, for, for a lot of my kids and maybe in, in, in the story that you just shared, he wasn't exposed to anything else, right? And it wasn't until he came across your work, that exposure to your work, exactly. that said, hi, this isn't something else that I can be doing. I don't have to go this path. And so, you know, when we talk about that game as well, it's if, if people are only being exposed to the game, that's all they're going to know. And it, it takes someone to step in and say, well, you know, there is another game that's being played over here. It's not just that one. Right. And once they once they get that exposure to that, then it's a matter of, OK, how can you become a part of this and not that? Right. Um, and, and I think that's a, a major piece in it, too, because I do believe that sometimes you can't and you just won't get to the root of everything, especially in my work with with some of my kids. We don't know what the root is and we can't get to the root of it. However, we can say, OK, whatever it is that's in your face right now, because, you know, middle school students deal with what's present. Right. Going back to the trash. I, I don't want to take out the trash. That's present. And so what's present right now is this current game that I'm seeing, this current game that's being played right here every day in my house or in my community. And it's exposing them to something else again, exposing them to something else and giving them the opportunities to participate in those things that can begin to change the direction of where they're going. A, a kind and loving word, a gentle, soft touch on their shoulder, an assurance that things will be okay. It's not end yeah. of the world, and you have a lot of potential that you never you know, got a chance to expose your potential, your inner strength. That helps a lot. There are a lot of people out in this world, every day they wake up, they look for a loving and kind word, a hug, a, a soft touch, mm -hmm. an assurance that you are, you are loving, you are a human being, and you have and a lot of strength and potential to make a difference. It makes a lot of difference. Yeah, for sure, love. And so love. one of the things that I'm curious about was, like, during my time in the Marine Corps, I was also known for my temper. I had a really, really short fuse. Um, and one of the weirdest feelings, um, this was after I got out of treatment and therapy, was the first time I actually controlled it. The first time I, like, I didn't lo completely lose it. To, you know, and it was like, I finally did something positive and it felt so weird. And it took me years to like, actually, like, it was such a, it was such a weird feeling that I freaked out. Like I had a positive, you know, a positive resolution to a tense conversation to where three months ago I would have just snapped. Right. And 
it was the first time I got a taste of what success felt like. And on some level, it felt great. Like, oh, this is what a positive, like a, a healthy relationship looks like. On that level, it was kind of cool. But it was so foreign to me that I freaked out. I had no clue how to handle that level of positivity. And so, like, whenever you're dealing with, like, for instance, Rice, when you're talking about the, you know, your attacker's son. Like, this kid's been in a dark cloud his entire life. And you were the light on some level. Like, so how did he handle the first time he felt true positivity? Like, how did, how did he act? Like, what was that transition like for him? I mean, it was amazing. He, when he came out in 2013, after serving eight years for armed robbery, um, he, he contacted me and I went to see him. But it was, I wish I could see him in a, in a, in a better situation, but he was in a hospital after having a, a pretty bad car wreck. When I went to see him, he told me that you are the last person I expected in this world to come and see me. Because he never expected that his, his father did such a heinous crime. His father tried to kill me. And I would go and see him. He was crying. Literally, he was crying. And he was, on, he was on the phone with his mother. And he told his mother that, I cannot talk to you right now. Raise his hair. He, he stopped talking. And he said, will you take me you know, um, uh, on your journey? I would like to work with you. Are you okay? And I had a friend with me. He tapped on my shoulder. He said, buddy, your, your, your mission is accomplished. This is what you wanted to do with his father. And now his son want, you know, wants to do the same thing with you. Isn't it amazing? I never even expected that he would say something like that immediately after I first saw him. And I said, Rob, you know, I'll be very happy to have you with me. And we can do a lot of work together to make a difference in this world. But unfortunately, you know, after uh, within a short time, he has to go inside. But now I'm very happy that he is coming out within the next uh, few weeks, hopefully. And he's very excited uh, to, to work together. And uh, my hope is that, you know, once you combine our, you know, once you share our story, our combined effort, we'll be able to help a lot, lot of people, um, especially, you know, the younger generation. So, so first of all, I, I love that I can just be silent and let you all go. It's, it's just awesome to get to sit and listen. So appreciate all of you asking each other questions. It speaks to your own curiosity, but people are going to watch this and they're going to be listening to this and they're probably going to be doing it at home uh, if they're following the rules and what, what's being asked of them. And so I'd be curious to get each of your perspectives and Derek, maybe we'll start with you on, on what we're all going through right now, because you know, what happened to each of you is, is traumatic and you all have talked about, we don't wish it on our worst enemy. Well, here we all are facing adversity in some capacity. And it's sort of a great equalizer because it doesn't really care what physical shape you're in. It doesn't care, you know, your race, your ethnicity, your economic situation. It's a virus. And first of all, um, it's not discriminated against who gets it. And then second of all, it is also causing people to have to just sit and stay home. And so I'd be curious to learn about how you all are handling this, how you're thinking about it um, and what's sort of going on for you right now. And, and Derek, why don't we start with you? Then we'll go to race van and we'll end with Mo. Okay. So it's interesting that the world is um, compromised right now. Every single one of us is compromised by a virus. Uh, that we have no means of defending and uh, or fighting against. And uh, 
since my transplant, I've been immunocompromised. I, I have to stay immunocompromised uh, in order for my body to not reject this person's heart. Uh, so, so there's a lot of good memes around there uh, that, that it's like, uh, you know, all the transplants are standing around like uh, Brad Pitt in the basement of Fight Club going, welcome to the club. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's silly, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I thankfully have not seen a lot of people acting out negatively uh, to the news of the virus and the, the shortages of the food. And, and everybody's been focused on staying home and, 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 and protecting themselves and protecting the people around them. And I think that's the right thing to do. Um, I think if there's one theme that I've kept hearing repeated during this conversation over and over and over is that you cannot control what is going on in the world. There's one thing that, that you can control and that's yourself. And that's how you respond to the things going on around you. And, you know, you can, you can choose the path of, you know, um, demeaning others or hurting others to make yourself feel good in some way. And I, I, I don't really understand how that works, but there's a lot of people that choose that path. And then there's, there's people who focus on themselves and try to be the light as race is in someone else's life to be the example, the, the shining light of hope for others to aspire to be. And, you know, and that's, that's for everybody on this panel. I, I think that, uh, that it helps others. It helps ourselves. I think, you know, it's a simple concept, but feeling good feels good. And if you can, if you can feel that within yourself and if you can pass that along to other people and you see someone, well, maybe you're not going to pass somebody on the street today, but if, if you're feeling down and you're feeling depressed and you're feeling closed in uh, by, by the walls around you because of this, you've, you've got someone else in your house. Don't, don't extend those feelings to that person. That's, that's, that's your stuff to deal with. It's, it's be the smile, you know, be, be the smile that brings that other person's day. And, Derek, and, it, are you doing anything different or is this just business as usual for you? I mean, what's, what's different for you? Uh, how are you, how are you impacted? Really? I'm, this is business as usual, usual for me. Um, the only thing now is that most transplant recipients, uh, everybody who's immunocompromised has, has the luxury has had the luxury of, of herd immunity. Everybody else takes care of themselves. Viruses don't spread amongst the group and we don't get sick. Well, now everybody's getting sick or has the potential to get sick. So, um, it's, all the same dangers are still out there for me. It's just more people, uh, uh, you know, it's just exponentially magnified. And, and, you know, it's, it's that empathy now that everybody else is in that same position that I am. That it's like, you know what? Yeah, I made the joke about the fight club, but yeah, you know what? It's a mind shift. And, um, and, and it, it does take a little bit to wrap your head around it. But what you're doing is, is you're protecting yourself and you're protecting your, loved ones and you're protecting the people around you protecting the world and and that's hero stuff right there so sit on your sofa enjoy it race how about your perspective well you know i mean it it seems clear that uh this uncertain and ever-changing public health crisis is going to be 
uh, with us for the foreseeable future. Um, it is imperative that uh, we take care of ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities the best way possible. Um, the most reasonable and the most uh, responsible thing we, we can do uh, is follow the public health guidelines uh, we are being given. Uh, it is also important that we, we remind ourselves and each other that we are all in this together. And this is truly an opportunity for us to come together as neighbors, community members, and also fellow human beings. Um, no doubt that we all are passing, all are passing a very you know, a scary time full of fear and uh, unknowns. But uh, in this situation, there are, there are, there are things we can, we can do uh, to help ourselves while also making difference uh, in others' lives as well. Uh, this is the perfect time uh, to reconnect or improve uh, your, our relationship uh, with family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, or anyone with whom um, extending an open, open heart might help us, help us all. Uh, in this situation, isolation can be very difficult for, for many. Uh, so I would say, please try to virtually check on those who are living alone or maybe extra, you know, anxious and depressed um, at this time. I will also ask you, if you can, forgive someone who hurt you in the past and let them know that you, you would like to um, start anew. Uh, take this time to invest uh, in, your, in, your, in, in your future. Uh, setting new goals, um, and I would humbly suggest that uh, deeply think about what you can do to be a better person than yesterday. Uh, if you head out uh, to the grocery store or to the pharmacy, you know, uh, thank our fellow citizens who are putting their lives on the line uh, to serve us and uh, our community. Find ways to thank our first responders, uh, police officers, public officials, who are going above and beyond to serve us and keeping our our, uh, our community safe. And at the same time, you know, um, I'm also thinking uh, millions of small business owners, uh, services, and hourly wage workers who have already been adversely affected. Uh, because I know all too well that uh, it, is, it is difficult to make ends meet, you know, when you know, uh, working in the, in the restaurant uh, business. I mean, as I said before, that I can imagine uh, how I could have supported myself if this happened 15 years ago when I was working as a waiter in, in, in restaurant. But most importantly, I would say that if you need help, if you need support, please reach out. Find someone to talk to, find someone to ask for help. Don't hesitate and don't feel shy. Van, give us your perspective. Um, I want to I want to start by seconding everything that was just said, especially um, with people being in isolation. Um, definitely reach out and check in on people as much as possible, because this is definitely um, a difficult time for for a lot of people um, for a, a lot of reasons. But um, I'm encouraging people to definitely check check in with with others. Um, also, use this time to uh, remove yourself a little bit from the hustle and bustle of every day, and reconnect with family reconnect with friends and and you know that that's very important um for me though uh it's, it's business as usual my, my work is centered around 
helping other people every day, all day. And uh, my team and I, we are just coordinating on what we can do to um, not only help our students and our families down, but um, as I began uh, preparing for the aftermath of, of these things. Um, so that's, that's, that's what's happening over in my world, my perspective on it. Thanks, Van. Mo? Um, well, I want to second everything also. Uh, thank you guys. This is amazing. And I hope to connect you guys on LinkedIn soon. Um, witness the fragility of it all. You know, like, understand that we in a, we're in a world so interconnected that what happens in a wet market in Wuhan, China can impact the entire world in less than six months. And understand that we are in this together. If you're one of the more, I guess, disappointing things that I've been witnessing on social media is that people are getting in their tribes again, you know, blaming each other. And it's like, guys, you're missing the point of this entire thing. Like this is a world economy. This is a world, this is a world society that we're in and what impacts one definitely impacts the other. And so it, sit down with yourself because you can only watch so much Netflix. There's no sports to watch. There's no distractions, right? You can only watch so much TV. You can only check in with so many people. Inevitably, you are going to be a point in time in the next few months where you're going to be sitting with your thoughts. And if you're afraid to sit alone with your thoughts, that's a clear sign that you probably need to figure out what's going on in your own life. Understand the root cause of where these thoughts are coming from. Don't think you're right. Just wonder where they're coming from. And if you're afraid to sit with them, ask for help, seek perspective, seek guidance because there's something there. Um, and if you're someone like me, I actually enjoy sitting alone with my thoughts. It goes to some interesting places. Um, take that time to share those thoughts, to, sh to be that light for people who maybe aren't so, you know, uh, so happy or excited to be in isolation and you know is not only take time for others and take time for your family and take advantage of all this time you now have with the family but take time for yourself and try to leave this situation a better person than when you started on every level so if you're happy if you're content with yourself if you're content with your thoughts if your your thoughts aren't you know, if, if your thoughts are more community minded, then how do you get better? How do you add to the knowledge base? If you find yourself blaming other people's or trying to tr go into tribes, sit down and understand why, why is this so important? Why do you want to win so bad? What do you get out of this? You know, um, and then on top of that, trust the experts. We shouldn't be looking to politicians right now for guidance. We should be looking towards the people who understand this, the virologists that are out there. And understand that you don't control anything, only yourself. So take time for that and be a better version of yourself on, on the other end of this. So well, Brandon, if I, if I could just add one yeah, go last ahead. point, you know, on, you no, know uh, I, 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 I uh, totally agree with Mo. And then one quick point that, you know, once this uh, coronavirus pandemic is, 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 is finally behind us, um, we all need to hold on to the important lessons we are learning right now. And, and continue to come together, you know, as, a, as, as fellow human beings, as community to, to fight uh, other common enemies like hate, intolerance, violence, you know, prejudice, so that we all can, you know, uh, uh, build a better world for us and for our next generations.
And Ray, I'm, I'm glad you jumped in there because to me, one of the things that I really appreciate about all of you is that you used your adversity and whether you meant to or not, you had space. And for Derek, race, and man, you all had space in hospital beds, right? Like you actually, like we're, this is, it probably wasn't pretty. Uh, I can only imagine what those surgeries and what those experiences were like for you. Um, and you've been able to use that experience and you've used your mind to reflect and learn and grow. And right now people have space. Uh, most people, not all, but most people have more space and more time. Even look at these panel discussions, getting the four of you uh, to volunteer your time at, uh, what time did we start? At 12 o'clock on a Wednesday would have been pretty hard, but I've been able, I think 75% of the people that I reached out to for a panel said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, I'm telling you, these people that I've had to get all these people on my podcast and it's not, it's not usually that easy to get people. So my point in saying that is we have space and to raise this point, how are we going to use this space and this time to have a relationship with ourselves, as Mo was talking about? And then the common thread that I heard from all of you is not just control for ourselves, but also what are we going to do with it? Are we then going to be in service to humanity or our community or just society and all of you, three of you have foundations. Mo works with veterans, helping them in the career, uh, helping them with their uh, transition into a career. You're all trying to help make the world a better place, knowing that tomorrow is certainly not guaranteed. And the last thing I'll say, and then I want each of you to share where people can find you on social media and also where they can support the work that you're up to or what you're passionate about is Last night, I, I got a text about a young man that I knew who, who's 30 years old who, who lost his battle with cancer and he had testicular cancer. And uh, I saw him three months ago and this person played college football. He probably looked like what Van looked like in high school. Um, I, Van, you played linebacker, I think. You played linebacker safety? You were safety. Um, this guy played linebacker, big, strong guy. And I saw him, he was coaching a, a high school basketball team and I saw him in January and he's he looked perfectly healthy and we've had some meaningful and deep conversations over the years. And I found out he was sick a couple of weeks ago. And then I found out he passed last night and this has nothing to do with coronavirus. Um, I think when this is all said and done, a lot of us are going to have connections to people or know of people who know people, unfortunately, who passed from coronavirus. And the reality is to raise his point, like everybody's going through something. And if we can use this time to learn about ourselves and learn how we're going to show up for others, um, we shouldn't need this pandemic to slow down and think about what we care about and to connect with the people we care about. And so I'm optimistic that I'll have changed because I think I'm someone who can run and, and go and go and go and sometimes not give time to the things that I really care about. So it's something I'm thinking about how I can work on it. Um, and then to me, how can we all be in service? How can we be in service to each other as a people? And I think what's so brave and courageous about all of you is not just that you have helped get yourself uh, to a, a pretty good place. And that doesn't mean you don't have bad days like the rest of us, but you're also trying to help others. And I think that if everybody in this world took that approach to care themselves first and then thought about how they can be in service to others, we'd just be in such an amazing place as a society. So uh, here's to hoping and here's to being optimistic on that front. Uh, Mo, where can people learn about what you're up to, find you on social media, um, 
why don't you take us home? All right, perfect. So uh, you can find me on social media um, on Instagram at Moses.Maddox, and you can find me on LinkedIn at Moses Maddox. Um, if you're interested in the work that I'm doing, you can go to www.veterans2energycareers.org. Um, and if you do know veterans or students in general who are in college, who are trying to figure out what's next, which is definitely a conversation that needs to be had because we are definitely in some uncertain economic times, uh, have them find me on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to work with them. Awesome. Derek, why don't you go next? Uh, I, I think uh, between the Recycled Man Foundation, which is recycledman.com, uh, and Recycled Man uh, Foundation on Facebook, uh, and then recycledmanspeaks.com, and as well on Facebook. Those are probably the two best ways to get in touch with me and, and get involved with what I'm doing. Awesome. Race? You know, Derek, I really like the name, Recycle Man. You know, I feel like the same way sometimes that... <laughs> So yeah, I mean, you can find more about me uh, through my uh, website, raisebuyan.com, R-A-I-S-B-H-U-I-Y-A-N, raisebuyan.com. And my Twitter handler is race for peace And you can find more about my nonprofit, World Without Hate, at uh, worldwithouthate.org. And also Twitter handler is uh, WWHforgive. Van. Um van brooks on facebook and linkedin instagram with van brooks 25 uh, more about my foundations at www.safealternative.org and more about my story is at vanbrooks.com so first of all i just want to thank the four of you for your spirit for your wisdom for your knowledge for your vulnerability and your willingness to share race i know that some of this stuff can be tough to talk about so i appreciate you uh sharing and 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 also coming back and, and continuing to share your message, it really means the world to me. Um, and, and Mo, your, your wisdom and way with words, man, it's, it's really special. And, and Derek, your determination and grit is um, it's inspiring. And I love what Mo said earlier about forgetting comparison, but also thinking about possibilities. When I hear you talk, I think about the possibilities that exist in life. Uh, and Van, my man, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you in, in Baltimore or, or coming down to Bethesda and, and, and catching up. And the work that you're doing is, is, is hero work. It's, it's, it's so necessary and it's, it's so important. And the fact that all four of you are so mission-oriented in your life is, uh, always leaves me feeling like I, I need to continue on, on my mission. So I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And if you want to listen to these conversations, you can listen to them at intentionalperformers.com. I encourage you, if you were inspired by anything you heard today, that you certainly support these gentlemen and, and support them on their journey and support what they're up to. So uh, thank you all for being here. And thanks for giving us your time and, and your space and your energy and your wisdom. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having Brian. us. Well, thank you very much. And Brian, I'm really sorry that, you know, sometime, you know, as Mo can talk very uh, powerfully there, sometimes this PTSD can, you know, trigger at any given point without any kind of prior notice. So it, it happened to be very rare, but sometimes when I talk about my, you know, shooting incident and my attacker, sometimes I get emotional or it triggers some sorts of backlash and uh, I have to take a, some time break. So I apologize. Hope we didn't ruin the show, um, but I'm glad that I could come back nope. and, uh, talk more about that. So I'm really sorry. You know, race, uh, I almost cried multiple times during this conversation today and it came close. Like it was almost going to trickle down. And I think as men we're taught not to do that. And I think that's a real shame. 
Um, and I think for me, at least that was one of the, I don't want to say best, but most real parts of this conversation. Um, because I, I do think sitting on the other end of this, um, sometimes I feel like you all are superheroes and I'm sure you hear this from other people. And I think it's important that we realize that we're all human and we all experience human emotions and that's okay. And I love what Mo was talking about of having a relationship with yourself. And I think if you don't show that it's not the authentic, true you and, and it's your reality. It's not, it's, it's, it's just reality. And so I'm appreciative because I think it's important for, for me to see that. And I think it's actually important, important for our, our listeners to see it as well. So um, if any of you need anything during this time, I'm available, uh, happy to help out however I can. And I just thank you all again for, for being on.